You're listening to episode 403 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. Wow, we've done this like three weeks in a row now. This is this is a miracle. We're on a roll, David. So we've got lots of news stories. We had a really good conversation last week, so we're catching up on a couple weeks' worth of news. We've got the MQ-9B stole, or a Reaper that's carrier-launched. Skyward is closing. Bombs dropping from commercial drones. An indoor drone from DJI. The Commercial UAV Expo 2022 in Las Vegas. Drone docking systems and BV loss committee's final report. So a lot of good news. So I guess we should get started. What do you think, Max? David, let's get started. Well, our first story comes from Breaking Defense. The MQ-9B stole, or short takeoff and landing, first aircraft in its class to offer short takeoff and landing and carrier capability. Now, the MQ-9, of course, you know, is the Reaper, which is the son of the Predator. And now General Atomics has created a short takeoff and landing kit, and that will make it capable to be operated off of aircraft carriers. Amazing. The MQ-9B Sea Guardian. Interesting point of this, David, is that it's a kit. It's it's not a separate aircraft or a new aircraft or a derivative as a wholly new aircraft. It's a kit that can be apparently retrofitted onto an existing aircraft. Basically, yeah, it's it's a it's a set of wings. You take one set of wings off and you put the standard conventional wings off uh, and then you put these um, larger wings with larger flaps and, and control surfaces for short takeoff and landing. And it's designed to operate from short, shorter fields, less than 1,000 feet, roughly um, 35-foot hundred expeditionary runways it currently requires. So it can take off in one-third of the distance and land in just as much so. So it's definitely an upgrade in capability, especially short field capability. And of course, there are many more uh, possible launching points uh, with a shorter runway requirement. So that opens up lots of of new opportunities, and uh, as well as being carrier launched, of course, is uh, is quite a change. And it's not a tough job to uh, swap out the the uh, you know the tail and the wing and install this kit. General Atomics uh, says that. This can be done within a few hours by ground personnel using the the tools that they already have and being able to do this uh, swap either in a in a hangar or right on the flight line. So pretty flexible, pretty easy to do. Don't know how much the co- the kit costs, but uh, certainly it's a lot less than the cost of an entire aircraft. The other thing about it is um, most people don't, most people, if you know, um, predators and reapers come in kits. That's how they come in boxes and that's how they're transported overseas. So um, ground crews of those units are used to assembling and disassembling the aircraft. So this is just a different set of wings that you're adding to the fuselage. So most of the procedures are, are pretty straightforward. Um it is interesting, though, that in the artwork and the article, the stall kit is a bigger wing, and it is funny seeing uh, Reapers with 
their wings folded sitting on a carrier deck. It was, it, it's definitely interesting artwork. These wings, because to, to make them carrier capable, also fold, whereas a normal uh, Reaper MQ-9's wings do not. So General Atomics trying to extend the life of, of the MQ-9 program. Very good. Boy, this next one, David, kind of came as a surprise to, I think, everybody. That is. This is from Drone DJ. Verizon is closing its Skywood Drone Management Company. Um, yeah, I when I read this the other day, I was sort of like, okay, this sort of came out of the blue. Um, Verizon bought Skyward Drone Management business in 2017. And I believe, Max, we've had people on from Skyward um, between around 2018 or 2019. And Verizon seemed to be all in on the uh, program. That's right. And now Verizon is going to close down Skyward, apparently not selling it off, just closing it down on June 30th, 2022. Verizon said they're going to focus on higher near-term growth activities. And Verizon sent out an email announcing this to clients. And in that email, the company said the Verizon robotics team will be focusing on our efforts on ground robot management, connectivity services, and solution development. Verizon's decided that this is not a, a business direction that, that they find attractive right now. They were all in. I'm, I'm really curious, and I'm sure it'll come out eventually, why the sudden change, um, what prompted it um and it, it could have been just something as simple as our covid crisis but another email from uav coach is um skyward's closing what does this mean for lance and parrots anfi so there are other companies that are affected by this sudden announcement skyward started providing lance services back in 2017 one of the early companies to do that some other milestones, they conducted a remote drone operation in 2020 without a pilot present. That was in a Washington state wildfire. Skyward was active in helping establish remote ID requirements. And then the reference to Parrot in this particular article, they partnered with Parrot in 2021 to provide 4G LTE connectivity for, for this Parrot AI. But there's speculation as to why maybe Verizon is not so focused on this now. One is that if you're a user of Lance, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. But if you're a provider of Lance, well, it costs you something. So, you know, in the in the corporate uh, hierarchy of opportunities, business opportunities that provide value to the corporation, yeah, this this may not be something that's so attractive. Which, of course, if, if that's the reason or, or you believe that, then the implication is, well, what about the other Lance service providers? Are, are they going to you know, lose interest or find other ways to monetize that? So I think more will come out in the future. Yeah, I think, the, I think this is, but definitely, um, I kind of would say it's a hit for the Lance program, a big, a big one. And I, I hope it doesn't, Max, have the domino effect that you're sort of implying that it might, that, you know, if, if one of the big boys is leaving and Verizon was in it big, it, it means that the rest of the people aren't going to want to stay in it either. But that's okay. You could always fly your drone with a 
magazine for dropping multiple bombs over whatever target you are. This was this was from David's favorite website, thedrive.com, the war zone. And evidently there's an unnamed Dutch company that's created a drum magazine for dropping multiple bombs from commercial drones. I thought this was kind of fascinating that you know we we've talked about Connecticut and weaponizing um drones but the, evidently they're not alone evidently um the Dutch my my heritage is is working on that also. <laughs> Apparently there were some photos circulating on social media and they show a drum suspended under what looks like a commercial quadcopter and uh, apparently this drum uh, holds uh, multiple mortar shells and in this kind of configuration reportedly uh, this uh, combination can can hold and and drop mortar shells on a target and then kind of the uh, maybe the most uh, uh, topical aspect of this is uh, reportedly some prototypes of this are headed to Ukraine for the uh, the war there. But, I mean, here we are again with another flavor of, you know, militarized zones, weaponizing uh, drones. And it shows, again, I think, that you can pretty easily come up with, invent, develop, you know, whatever, some kind of military capability for even off-the-shelf commercial drones uh, pretty easily, which is... Okay, a little bit scary in some ways. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, a drum system like this is a rapid is a, is a delivery system where you're not just. Where we, I mean, we've talked about kamikaze or suicidal drones, and the common uses right now are have been a one off kind of suicide attack using the commercial drones. But in this case, you're using an off the shelf commercial drone and fitting it with something that can attack multiple targets and be reloaded. Um, it's an inexpensive little bomber. Um, I don't know how much the drum costs, but it's reusable and or expendable. So, yeah. and rapid prototyping heading to a war zone. So that, I mean, there's a lot going on with this story. And uh, this story isn't, I think, the, you know, the, the last story that we'll see that raises these same uh, issues and points. So, um, we haven't talked about DJI in a long time. They may be working on a new FPV drone that you can fly indoors. This is from The Verge. Um, according to leaks, DJI indoor drone is coming between July and August of this year, supposedly called the Avada. And weighing 500 grams. So, if you fly it outdoors, you'd have to register it with the FAA because of the weight. But, of course, you don't have to register anything flying indoors. Uh, there are some renders of what this might look like from uh, Deals Drone. And they show ducted propellers, which would make a lot of sense indoors. I don't think you want propellers, rotors spinning in the in the free air. You really need... A, uh, a duct around them, a, a barrier, a safety barrier around them. Um, and the rendering shows just that. A greatly improved camera, greatly improved in quotes, um, and battery life. And it's also supposed to be coming with FPV goggles. So um, Drone Racing League 
amateur. This is the amateur class. You can you can get your your off the shelf um, IROC equivalent uh, drone for first person view racing. Yeah, I can just see people running around breaking their lamps, etc., running around their house trying to fly their quadcopter. Don't try this one at home, folks. I'm sure a lot of people would use this to terrorize their cats. Yeah, either that or the cats will terrorize <laughs> it, one or the other. Yeah, of course, I'm just kidding, but it could be fun. It's no different than a laser pointer with a kitten. Exactly. Well, Max, it's back. The Commercial UAV Expo in 2022 is back in Vegas with a bigger show than ever. We've been promoting the UAV Expo, which is September 6th through 8th in Vegas. We have a banner on the Expo, but they've broadened what features and and some of the things that are coming up at the program. The keynote, um, defining the future of drone delivery. How can we enable leadership, collaboration, and a collective vision? They're also doing some deep dive vertical market sessions. This is a really good conference, and there really is a lot of value to be offered in a lot of different areas. But in these deep dives, they're looking at things like assessing the accuracy of drone survey data. Another one is building aerial autonomous systems with an AI-first approach. Another drones in energy and utilities. Are we doing things cheaper, faster, and safer? Here's an interesting one. The future of underground autonomous mining. I think I would attend that just because of the, it just sounds fascinating. And another deep dive vertical market session is utilizing drones for efficient, safe, and budget-friendly site surveying. And they also have industry updates. Um, aerospace challenges in an autonomous world. BV loss ARC recommendations. We'll be just talking about that in a bit. Uh, regulatory insights, and what's stopping us from hailing a drone taxi right now? I kind of want to go to that that one, too. Yeah. And as David mentioned, we have a banner on the website at, UA, at the uavdigest.com, and that will uh, link right to the, uh, the page with more information about the conference. We'll also put a, a link in uh, the show notes for this episode, episode 403, with the 2022 conference program. And uh, e even if you're only kind of moderately interested in, in maybe attending this event, uh, take a look at the conference program. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive. And if you're, uh, if you're on the fence, it just might convince you to attend. It's Vegas, baby. Yeah. I mean, of course you want to go. Advances in drone docking systems. Commercial UAV News brought us this article. On-demand drone services need drone ports, a place where drones can land and await their next mission, get their batteries charged, and be protected from environmental conditions. So, um, Max, I think we're finally starting to talk about infrastructure now, about how to support all of these equipment that we've got flying around these days. And in this commercial UAV news piece, they describe, uh, they offer examples of two companies that are in this space. The first one is Globe UAV, and uh, they've developed the different drone ports with different features. They have the Sky Release, which is a mobile station, and the Sky Deck, which has twin ports, and then the, the all-around system, the Skyport. 
but they utilize all steel construction in these. And so they uh, expect them to have a, a lifespan of at least 10 years of use, which is, uh, that's, that's pretty impressive. And Globe UAV has already deployed some of these drone ports in Germany. So they're actually being produced and being used at this time. And the other company is Hayesha Technology. They're developing the D-135 Autonomous Drone Docking Station and the M-100 Monitoring and Diagnostic Module. So I guess this is a package, an autonomous drone docking station. Um, now, I was wondering I was wondering if the station was autonomous <laughs> or, or the drone was auto- autonomous. I, I wasn't quite sure where the um, autonomy was coming from with that one. And they're used in a smart city program in China and data collection for many city functions like emergency management, environmental protection, marine administration, and traffic. So um, definitely active roles in China, but it is kind of funny that, you know, I was thinking the docking station's autonomous. Does that mean it knows when to charge and when? Yeah. So we have to worry. We have to work on this autonomy thing. It's the next statement, like, pilot programs what's being autonomous and and who's being you know and and who's who's in charge and as you say david we are seeing this almost a transition from uh, several years ago where when you talk about a drone company you talk about drones a company that was building drones and obviously utilizing them in uh, in certain applications precision agriculture or inspection or or what have you and other companies providing some of the uh, you know infrastructure around it like skyward was for example but you know here here we have something that's uh, really clearly solidly in the infrastructure space you know building these drone ports it speaks to kind of the mat- uh, the maturing i think of the industry maybe it's too soon it doesn't feel like it's a mature industry but it's it's at least growing in that sense and we're seeing more and more companies that are involved in the industry, but providing these kind of supporting systems and products. Well, interesting. I, my The analogy that came into my mind was we had originally we had the hardware. Then we've spent a lot of the time talking about the software. And now we've moved on to the peripherals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the stuff to support the hardware and the software. So the peripherals. So again, our, our analogy to computers seems to, it seems to be following the same pattern. Um, so, okay. The big news of the week, the FAA unmanned aircraft systems beyond visual line of sight rulemaking committees, final report. And it's scheduled for a public meeting on June 22nd, 2022, which is a month, literally almost a month from today. We're, we're recording this. So the Aviation Rulemaking Committee uh, has published their final report. In fact, they published it in March, uh, March 10th, 2022. Uh, and we'll have, a, we'll have a link to that. But what's happening here is on June 22, they've scheduled this public meeting. It's going to be a virtual meeting. And the purpose of it is to give the public an opportunity to comment on this uh, UAS BV loss final report. So 
uh, we have some information about it. The ARC, the ARC, the Aviation Rulemaking Committee uh, for BV loss was uh, was established in 2021, June 2021. And it, its goal was to provide recommendations to the FAA, and that's what this final report is, on performance-based regulatory requirements. And it was a, a large group of, of stakeholders participated in this, uh, stakeholders from 86 organizations. And um, they were tasked to provide these, these recommendations, which they, uh, which they have done. So the, uh, the meeting, this virtual meeting, uh, which uh, is, is coming up, will be 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on June 22nd. I have to admit, Max, last year when we were talking about this, we didn't really think they'd get a year, a report done in a year. And they did. So, I mean, that's a step in the right direction. But let's let's look at a little bit of the final report recommendations. The first one is the FAA sets an acceptable level of risk or an ALR for UAS that is consistent across all types of operations being performed allowing the FAA to adopt a common and consistent set of regulations and guidance. That makes a lot of sense because we've been, you know, when we started out, we were talking about size and weight and dimension. And then there was the whole, how much mass it is when it hits you in the head, kind of all of that determining rules. So a cross the board leveling the playing field is a good thing. And the final report also recommends modifications to the right-of-way rules in low-altitude shielded areas. Those are within 100 feet of a structure or critical infrastructure. And in low-altitude non-shielded areas below 400 feet to accommodate unmanned aircraft operations. And there's a lot of detail behind that, but that's, that's broadly what that recommendation is. They're going to extend Part 107, Remote Pilot Certificate, with a small UAS rating to cover topics associated with extended visual line of sight, create a new Remote Pilot Certificate rating to cover BV loss operations. So you're going to have to be type rated. That makes perfect sense given the way that normally the FAA works. The uh, fourth broad recommendation is that the FAA establish a new BV loss rule that includes a process for qualification of unmanned aircraft and UAS applicable to aircraft up to 800,000 foot-pounds of kinetic energy. And we've talked about that in the past where the, you know, the kinetic energy of the, of the aircraft, of the drone, is uh, sort of this, the, the measure the metric for uh, assessing the lethality or the the damage that uh, you know it could do if if it fell out of the sky. And last but not least, the FAA adopts a non-mandatory regulatory scheme for third-party services to be used in support of UAS BV loss operations. Non-mandatory regulatory that kind of an oxymoron, don't you think, Max? Yeah. So we'll have uh, links in the show notes to where you can live stream the event. Uh, there's a, an opportunity to do that on Facebook or on YouTube. Also, uh, there's a website, uh, sorry, there's an email address if uh, 
members of the public want to provide written comments or oral comments, you can do that by sending those into this email address. And then finally, we'll have a link to the uh, the meeting minutes and other information that's uh, posted about this event. So check those out in the in the show notes. So Max, we got some feedback, but it wasn't really for us. But that's okay. It was for airplane geeks. But we thought I thought it was appropriate here. This was from Robert. I'm a first time listener looking for sources to recruit flight instructors, and I heard your discussion about vertiports being mostly in Europe. I wanted to bring to your attention Lilium's Florida project, which aims to bring electric jet service from city to city travel between Orlando, Tampa, Palm Beach, Miami, and other Florida cities. So he sent us a story about the PBIA approved Vertiport for all electric jet services to connect Florida cities. Right. The Palm Beach County Commissioners approved a lease. This was for a five-acre uh, vacant uh, area for a Spanish company, Ferrovial, to build what's known as a vertiport and a terminal costing $7 million. So the uh, Lilium jets are smaller, six-passenger jets, but they're VTOL. Um, they, you may have seen these before. They're powered by 36 very small electric engines. Uh, Lilium, of course, is lilium.com. If you go slash jet, that'll take you to some more information about this VTOL aircraft. It's easier to dismiss Lilium, but it, they're extremely well-funded and have been methodically moving towards their goals and hitting their milestones. It's still many years away, but um, it's interesting to follow and interesting that a local community would endorse this kind of technology. Yeah, it's great. I think we'll be seeing more of that. All right. Well, we want to thank you for listening to the UAV Digest. As you probably know, you can find us at the UAVdigest.com. Uh, look for the show notes there. A lot of information this week. Check that out. If you want to go straight to the show notes, we have a shortcut link. It redirects right to this episode. That's simply the UAVdigest.com slash 403. And of course, you could find us all over the internet on um, at UAV Digest. On Twitter at UAV, Facebook.com slash UAV Digest. You can join our Slack listener team with the Airplane Geeks, and that's you can do that by sending us an email to feedback at the UAV Digest.com, and we'll be happy to send you an invite. And last but not least, of course, if you know how to spell our names, you can find us on LinkedIn and all of our other social medias. So, with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delaware. And this is Max, this week, uh, Maryland on the Eastern Shore. <laughs> Poor guy doesn't know where he is anymore. I know, it's hard. It gets harder and harder. Thanks for listening, all. <laughs>